Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's rare that you get a killing like this, a murder like this, and a case like this. This horrific, lurid, heartbreaking tale of lust and murder. And it was all really based around his poisonous and narcissistic personality. You know, he was a millionaire in his head from all his investments. And like to have this, you know, part-time DJ, you know, quarry truck driver, you know, coming in and getting one up in him was something that he, he just couldn't handle. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. It was a trial that lifted a lid on sex and lust in rural Ireland and which revealed the secrets of a small Tipperary village. When farmer Patrick Quirk received a life sentence for the murder of Bobby Ryan, a popular DJ known as Mr Moonlight, he was quick to appeal his conviction saying the prosecution never proved its case of murder. But despite laying out 50 grounds at the appeals court, Quirk has now lost his last bid at freedom and will have to accept his fate. So why did the married Quirk think he could get away with murder? Today I'm talking to journalist Eamon Dillon, who penned a Sunday World book, The Mr Moonlight Murder, about the case. He tells me about a tale of love, jealousy and regret in the heart of an ordinary community. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Patrick Quirk was extremely confident, Eamon, even after he was convicted and sent to prison for life, which is mandatory for murder, but he still thought he could get away with it. Yeah, that's something that came out during the trial. I mean... He was just he was supremely confident. He was arrogant and overbearing and narcissistic. And, and that even continued after the trial, because I know that uh, initially he was sent to Limerick Prison, but they had to transfer him out because he was basically rubbing some prisoners up the wrong way with his haughty attitude. So you're, you're not going to last too long in, in, in Limerick Prison if you kind of think you're, you're special. So he ended up being moved mm. around a couple of times, and he's in, he's in Port Leash Prison now where... I think he is, you know, he's kept busy. He's in the kitchens working there. But Port Leash, of course, is the high security prison where a lot of the serious gangland characters are kept on A-wing. And the, the likes of Pat Quirk, who would be kind of not in gangland, obviously uh, connected. 
they've been doing their time and doing, and they're mostly there to kind of, you know, run the library, run the kitchen, and do all the jobs that, you know, prisoners get to do when they're serving a life sentence. So you're telling me he's kind of arrogantly placed himself amidst gangland criminals just by being such a pest that the other criminals in Limerick jail just couldn't stand him. Yeah, it was indirectly. Yeah, I mean that's that's what's ha- what's happened. I mean he he it, it took him a while to learn that you know when it comes to the pecking order, you know you, 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 there there is a pecking order basically when it comes to the pecking order, and and that he was somewhere you know down the bottom, whereas in his head he's always at the top. And I mean, and that's, you know, and that, and that was actually the crux of the whole case. I mean, I mean, that's why it was so fascinating, like in one sense that, you, you know, you, you had these, you know, two relatively comfortable farm families. I mean, they're, they're average enough farm families in one sense. Uh, and this, you know, horrific, lurid, heartbreaking tale of, you know, lust and murder. And, you know, and it was all really based around his poisonous and narcissistic personality you know and that was i guess the poison in this what should have been in idle i mean like you know fauna gowan the farm where mary larry lives with her husband martin uh you know it's absolutely it's in an it's in an idyllic area i mean i don't know if you've been there but i think you know it's in the it's in the the, the golden vale which is like you know going back to ancient times was famous for its fertile farm grounds you know like it's it's Grass growing is is second to none. So I mean, it's perfect for dairy farming, for cheese, you know, production, all of that. So the farmers in that area were always, you know, a little bit better off than in other parts of the country. And it's just it's a beautiful area where they are. It's, it's you know, it's close to the Gauti Mountains. It's scenic, you know. It's it's soft rolling hills like you know that roll up to the to the Gauties. I mean, and this, this should have been a place where you know people can live and be happy. But you, you had. You had Pat Quirk then who just thought otherwise, you know, he's just his greed and narcissism came out. Well, Mary and Martin Lowry were, in all intents and purposes, living quite an idyllic life with their children until, very tragically, Martin died early and uh, Pat Quirk, Mary's brother-in-law, came along to her aid, uh, or so he he claimed initially that he was going to kind of be the man at the, around the house and he was going to, she was left with this farm, wasn't she? And kind of a few investments and she was a woman who was grieving and left with ch- young children and having to kind of dust herself down. Um, and he came to her aid to sort of help her out and to lease the land so as he'd worked the land, um, which obviously was worth a lot of money. Uh, but the two of them began an affair and maybe Mary Lowry was feeling lonely and um, maybe Pat Quirk was charming, who knows. But nonetheless, they started an affair. So what happens next? Well, the, the, the thing was, even before Martin's death, I mean, Martin and Pat Quirk had cooperated. The farms were close enough uh, together that, you know, they, they jointly owned uh, farm machinery so it wasn't it wasn't a big step up in a sense for you know Pat Quirk to take on you know the farm you know I mean Mary Larry was what still only forty and she had three her three sons were preteen at that stage so I mean her hands were full and you know her mother in law you know you know told guards how upset she was how you know she was in deep grief and they like when you say that they started an affair Mary Larry when she was on the stand spoke very much about you know Quirk overstepped the boundaries like you know that. He used his position that he exploited her vulnerability at the time. And she, she referred to it from the stand as a seedy affair. 
I mean, she had another remark. I thought, you know, it says, you know, nothing good, you know, there's nothing pleasant about having an affair. Nothing good comes out of it. Um, and and she, she, that was always kind of, you know, that was always there. Um, and she kind of knew that there's no future in this and that, you know, she was going to hurt her own sister-in-law, Imelda, you know, who was her, you know, her dead husband's sister. So, I mean, she, you know, she had the sense that, look, we got to end this, you know, but she was so tied up, you know, in, in, in emotionally and financially. And I suppose depending, you know, on him for help, she was so, you know, wrapped up with pack work, it was difficult. But I don't think initially, you know, she had an idea about how obsessive he would become. Uh, you know, when when she met Bobby Ryan, like he was insanely jealous. I mean, you know, from, you know, in, in the kind of the, the, the year or two before he, he disappeared, he was constantly trying to sabotage the relationship. He, he had you know, done various things. Like he, he phoned uh, Tusla and made a complaint that she was carrying on, you know, she wasn't looking after her children properly. Obviously this isn't, you know, it was checked out by Tusa and there was, there was nothing to it. And of course she had her suspicions that, you know, he, he had done it. Uh, and th- there was other, <coughs> there was other issues like, you know, her, her burglar alarm would be set off. I think it was something like 47 times over a two year period. And that was, that was quirk more than likely nosing around the place, keeping an eye on things. They caught him at one stage on CCTV, you know, checking out her underwear on the washing line. You know, I mean, it, it was it was weird, creepy stuff at this point. Like, sorry, but that really is pretty, pretty lowbrow to be rooting through somebody's underwear yeah. on, on a washing line. And like, how long had they been having this affair? Well, well, it, it was on and off. Um, and it, 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 obviously it was, I think it was, they described it as, you know, some weekday mornings, they'd make love or whatever. Uh, you know, when the kids are in school uh, and then they'd, they'd find various excuses to go away for weekends at the same time. Uh, but they were, they were relatively, you know, it was relatively few and far between. You know, it certainly didn't, you know, it was a furtive affair. Like it certainly wasn't like any yeah. kind of a normal relationship. And there was no suggestion that Mary Lowry, who should have been the vulnerable and the needy one in this relationship, given that she's the one that has been left widowed with the young children, there's no suggestion anyway along the way that she actually wants Quirk to leave his wife Imelda. Um, she does seem to be having a functional sort of uh, affair on the basis that she's having sex with this guy a little bit and having a you know, weekend away. It seems to be sort of maybe an escape for her from a little bit of loneliness that, you know, whereas he is the one that should be, he has the wife, the children, all the investments, all the money, a lot to lose, I think, more so than her if the affair came out. And yet he's the one that's getting over-obsessed with the whole thing. It's a lesson maybe <laughs> to us all out there. Um, no good comes of these things, Amy. As Mary Larry said, like, you know, nothing good was going to come of it. I mean, she knew herself that, mm. you know, it was going to end in tears, but obviously she had no idea just like how sad, you know, things would, would yeah. turn out. I, I mean, it's important not to forget that, you know, Mr. Moonlight, you know, uh, Bobby Ryan, you know, like his his two kids, um, Michelle Michelle Ryan and Robert Ryan. You know, they've just been fantastic. They've been so dignified in the way they've spoken. You know, to the media. And I mean, they had to run a, a two year campaign looking for information, pleading for information about you know what had happened to their father. They had no idea. I mean, they were putting up posters, you know, around Bancha and around Fauna Gowan. Just go back there because I interrupted you in the in the middle of that to to pop in with my thoughts on 
the affair, but Bobby Ryan and herself were got together and they were having a really kind of her first proper, you know, she was having this relationship. She wasn't trying to hide this relationship with Bobby Ryan. They were going out together. They were, you know, meeting up in public places and he was coming to stay in her house. And it was a, a nice relationship for both of them. Yeah. And look, I mean, they both shared a love of, of dancing and, you know, they were big into that kind of, you know, country and Western style, you know, um, it's 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 the big Glen Eagle hotel type weekends. I mean, at, at the time, I think there was the hotel in Tipperary that, you know, would have these, you know, these uh, basically dance events and Saturday nights. And, and that's where she met him. I like, you know, and, and mm. uh, by all accounts, the two of them were a right pair of twinkle toe, toes, you know, gliding around the, uh, the, 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 the wooden floors. And I mean, and, and if they made them, you know, they made each other happy. Like, like her two sons, like, you know, when, like they spoke about how, you know, their mother was happy when she was around. I think there was, there was a friend of, of Mary Larry who, who knew Bobby Ryan when they first, you know, the, the night they first met in, in Tip Town. Like she kind of said to him, look, you know, you know what she's been through, you know, don't mess her around. And, and, you know, she wanted to make sure Bobby Ryan's, you know, that his motivations were honorable. And, and he, and he was like, you know, they, they, Mm. they, they enjoyed the relationship. I mean, they, they, you know, they had, they had, they had great time together and, and it made her smile. You know, I guess it was from at, at that point, it was like stepping out into the light after, you know, the dark cloud of grief and then, you know, being in the shadows with this, what she called, you know, a seedy affair with, with mm. pack work. So for her then to, to finally be out and, you know, enjoying life again, you know, it, it was, it was good. She was smiling, you know, she was getting back to how people remembered her you know, after all she'd been through. Mm. So, you know, it was a a lovely and it was a positive thing. Yeah, there's a quaintness and a sort of an innocence to um, Mary Larry and Bobby Ryan's relationship and the idea of that, you know, country music scene and all the rest of it compared to the sort of, as she really portrayed herself, the more sordid kind of, sex she was having with the with her her sister-in-law's husband that she didn't want it was all secretive she didn't feel too good about herself so it was a new kind of a phase for her um in her life and all was happy but obviously in the background was quirk rooting around her knickers on the line and uh trying to kind of just doing creepy stuff around the house wasn't he he wasn't happy about this relationship at all but and he wasn't just rooting around her underwear, like he was rooting around her finances. Uh, I mean, one of the things that, um, like there was one, one, some of the stuff that came out, uh, some of it was in legal arguments, some of it was in evidence, you know, and it came out after the trial. I mean, for instance, she had an 80,000 euro investment and that, and he basically took the 80 grand and invested it in CDCs, which are these contracts for difference, which were the, you know, the financial tool that brought around the 2008 financial meltdown that kind of ruined the, the you know <laughs> our own economy at the time and you know, it was a really high risk investment there's no way like anybody should have been doing investments like that but it, it was basically a gamble and in in his case like in in Quirk's case it paid off because the 80 grand of Mary Lowry's money he invested in these extremely high risk financial products ended up doubling so he gave her back her 80 grand plus 40 grand and he kept 40 grand for himself and he was interviewed by the guards and they said, like, you know, well, what, you know, why, you know, that was an awful lot of money. Why did you take so much? And he said, well, I did all the work. Like, he, you know, he certainly wasn't kind of feeling, well, maybe I did take too much. I mean, there was always a sense of him doubling down. You know, there was always a sense that, 
you know, he was working really hard and he deserved his rewards. And, you know, even, you know, when, you know, news of the affair had come out when he was a suspect, when he was being questioned by the guards, you know, he would say things like, you know, my reputation has been blackened. And he says, you know, my name is Mud. You know, and it was very much, it was like he had been hurt by, you know, the events that he had caused. Like, you know, he couldn't see that he was the person who, who was acting in the wrong. You know, it, it, I think I already described it. You know, it was just his, his narcissistic, poisonous personality, I think. So what happened in June of 2011? That's in June 2011 is when Bobby Ryan disappeared without trace. Um, the weekend before um, himself and Mary had gone to um, Bundoran to a concert of the Indians. Uh, and things actually hadn't gone as well. I think Bobby wasn't feeling great and couldn't dance or didn't want to dance. And when she came back from the dance floor, she found him in conversation with another woman, which, you know, she, she admits that she kind of reddened his ear on the way home. And the two of them had a bit of a, you know, they had an argument and they thought about it, right, that's it. They were going to end the relationship after this tiff. I think then it was uh, June the 2nd, Bobby Ryan was at home, his daughter Michelle, and the his phone was going and going. And eventually he says, look, he says, I'd better go see her. And he went off to phone a gown. They made up. He stayed the night. Mary Larry and her evidence says, you know, they made love. He got up that morning. You know, he, he was due to go to work in the quarry. It was, it was, it was a particularly warm uh, uh, summer's day, even though it was, you know, early enough in June. Uh and they had a discussion about, you know, whether he's woolly jumpy, you know, it was too warm to wear his woolly jumper, this kind of thing. And he left and she she gave evidence about then. She thought there was a bit of time, like it was she, she would have expected to hear his his van drive over the cattle, the cattle grid within about two minutes. But it seemed to be 10 minutes and it was a, it was, it was a bit unusual. And so it was even before it, w- it was within a short space of time then that, you know, Michelle and, and Robert Ryan, his children, were con- very concerned about their dad. Like, he hadn't turned up. They thought, well, maybe he's gone off to the beach. He's, he's taken a day off work and he's gone off to the beach at Mary. Such a lovely day. It's possible. They're ringing his phone. There was no answer. Um, and they got worried straight away. Um, you know, his, like, in fairness, even his employer calls at a house to see where he was. Like, his, his quarry truck hadn't been moved. His work boots are still in the hall. So... He hadn't been home. His lunch had been made the night before, was still there. So there was no sign of him. So they were immediately concerned, particularly when they couldn't get his mobile. So Michelle went up to Mary Larry's home to see what they knew. They drove into Tiptown. Um, they reported him missing. Coming back then, they found his van parked up in woods nearby. So that immediately, you know, there was a full-on search. Uh, you know, it involved, I think there was the army, the civil defence, the regional, the Garda regional mm. search team were involved and they searched the farm, the perimeter, all the, you know, Pat Quirk was called in to drain two of the, I think the silage tanks, uh, two of the slurry um, pits and, and the silage pit, I think as well, to make sure he hadn't fallen in. And and that was it. Like, you know, there was, there was they did their best. Michelle spent the night in the woods shouting for her father to see, you know, looking for him. It was, you know, a horrendously traumatic time, you know, and... Mm. I mean, obviously, you know, Michelle and Robert were, were feeling acute pain. They're missing their father. And, and for Mary Larry, it was like, you know, oh, God, it's here I go again. Like, you know, what's happened, you know, that she could experience such bad luck, um, you know, herself. And she was distraught. And But at this stage, she hadn't admitted to She hadn't really told anyone else about the affair with Pat Quirk. Um, and it was interesting that I think there's a lady called Catherine Costello who's involved in, she's a former Scotland Yard detective, who was involved in 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 helping people 
you know, who, you know, who suffered the loss of somebody who's gone missing in, in helping them, like, you know, look over the case and maybe get in touch with the right authorities. And it was the second occasion that she met um, Mary Larry. She, Mary, had, Mary then told her that she had, in fact, been having an affair and she was straight away. This is a very important fact. You need to tell the guards. And she didn't do it mm. straight away. Um, eventually, uh, Catherine Costello arranged for her to meet a female guard and it came out. So that kind of very much immediately then changed what had happened. And obviously there was a cloud of suspicion over um, Pat Quirk from then on. And, you, you know, and this is when, you know, I mean, there was three or four times he was arrested and gave interviews. And this is where he started, you know, complaining about his reputation being damaged by all this. And he was always adamant that, you know, the, you know, he had nothing to do with it. He was talking, you know, oh, oh, he must have gone off to Spain. He's a DJ. He obviously got fed up with that crazy Mary Larry. I mean, this is the kind of the narrative that he was trying to establish. And in the meantime, he was still working the farm, you know. It, yeah, it, on her it, land you know, every day. Like, like, was he still coming onto her property and around her house? He was. and But the, at this stage, you know, the relationship, you know, continued to, to deteriorate. There was one or two weekends where they went away. Mary Larry would say that, you know, she kind of felt pestered and she kind of felt she kind of had to go. Uh, you know, all this came up in court about, you know, there was famously mm. a, a whole discussion about the the Ardmore Hotel in, in Waterford, which is a beautiful, picturesque setting. And, you know, as the lawyer was saying, you'd hardly forget being there. And she said she had no memory of it, you know, and, and of having been there. But, you know, it was her bank card that was used. But it's quite, you know, and it, the suggestion also was there that it was Quirk that had been using her bank card for various transactions as well. So, all, all of this was, you know, floating about. So in that period, uh, like, you know, between 2011 and 2013, from, you know, uh, Bobby Ryan's disappearance to the discovery of his body, you know, the relationship between Mary Larry and Quirk was deteriorating. It was getting worse. It came to a head when she met, a, uh, she, 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 she met another, she had a, a, a fling with a gentleman called Floor Cantillon from Cork. You know, another guy who was, you know, big into the, you know, the, the country and Western dance scene and, you know, a, you know, a charming chap as well, you know, the agricultural background, you know, they, they, they got on really well. They had a good laugh together. I mean, there, there was, mm. there was actually, there was actually, and again, it shows you the weirdness of Quirk. Um, but in one sense, it also gave an insight into kind of, I suppose, you know, the kind of the easygoing relationship that Mary Larry was, ha- was having with, with Floor Cantle and, you know, that this lighthearted, you know, this lighthearted, loving nature that she had, you know, was demonstrated, but it was demonstrated by, you know, an outrageous invasion of privacy by Quirk, who'd been leaving a mobile phone on record in her bedroom. And it was actually, the two of them were, the, like herself and Flora Cantillon, were reading out a Dear Angela uh, letter from the Sunday World about, you know, about, you know, somebody's, you know, sexual quirks or whatever. And they were in, you know, uproarious laughter at this, you know, having great fun. Now, a lot of it was inaudible. But again, this was offered in evidence in court to, to give, you know, a, a, an insight, uh, I think, to the jury about, you know, the state of Quirk's mind. These, these, these recordings were found on a laptop that had been, you know, uh, taken under a search warrant from his home, you know, when he was, you know, finally under serious suspicion for having something to do with, with uh, Bobby Ryan's disappearance. He must have enjoyed great access to her house if he was able to go into her bedroom, hide a mobile phone and then go back later, obviously, and get it and download the recordings from it. But he had a front door key and, and it was seen on one of the, you know, one, like she, because her alarm had been going off, she installed, eventually installed a CCTV. And in one case then she noticed, uh, like after one alarm went off, he had, he had used the front door and opened it 
And then when the alarm went off, he shut it again. So until they had the CCTV, presumably there had been other intrusions into the house. And Mm -hmm. she had also um, reported to the guards then about him shoving her when there was an argument over. He was demanding €100,000 compensation because he claimed that one of, you know, uh, Martin's, one of uh, one of his herd, and he had taken some of those animals into his own herd, he'd sold off the others. He was claiming that it, it had infected, you know, his herd with whatever it was at the time, and he, he needed compensation. And during that, it got heated and he pushed her. So between him opening the door and her being pushed, they actually brought um, a burglary and an assault charge against him. Now, these were later dropped, but that's, you know, the kind of the, the level of, of, I suppose, where the, the relationship was at this stage. I mean, they were down to solicitor's letters telling him, like, it's over, get off the land. I mean, you, you know, I mean, like, he was saying, look, I'm paying her fair and square and giving her 1,200 quid a month, you know, for, for rental of the farm. But he was also taking the 12,000 a year uh, single farm payment. So he was getting the farm practically for nothing. So, you know, you, you know, like, so, I mean, she was getting nothing out of this relationship, absolutely nothing. And I mean, it was one of the, the it was one of the, I think it was a comment by a guard when the interviews, you know, he says, you know, as far as you're concerned, it was cash and sex on demand, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, the fact that this, the CCTV and even those remarks um, were, were allowed in court ended up being part of this appeal that was denied last week. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, but to go back to the original trial, like, Every spit and cough was fought over. Like it was, it ended up in the longest criminal trial in the history of the state. I mean, like some of our journalistic colleagues didn't miss a day. I mean, I was there maybe two or three days a week. It was the most we could afford, like to have someone there. Yeah. And you know, and, and it was just every single thing was 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 argued over. And I mean, there was so much legal argument. There was as much time spent without the jury in the court as there was in it. But I mean, like for one example. Like there was the, the the day that Mr. Moonlight went missing, the the guard had, the following day the Garda regional uh, search team were were called in to search the farm, and they all gave evidence about, you know, and it wasn't significant exactly why they were given certain evidence at the time, but one of them was about you know these these big plastic wrapped bales of hay, but they were actually over the the underground pit that Bobby Ryan's uh, remains would eventually be found in, so. They were all giving evidence about how they, you know, they walked around the perimeter of the farm. They searched the fields. They, you know, they looked in the silage pits and slurry pits. They looked in all the outhouses. <clears throat> they looked in old vehicles, you know, and they gave all this information, you know, you know. But every single one of them before they gave, like, they, I, th- I can't remember. Like, there could have been six of these, you know, search officers that were brought up. They were all asked, did you discuss this before you came here? And they said, well, no or yes. And, uh, and he says, where did you discuss it? Oh, we had coffee. And where did you have coffee? Oh, we had it upstairs on the, you know, you know, the, the coffee shop there in, in the, the CCJ in the Courts of Criminal Justice. And say, how many people were there? And, you know, one, one guard would say four. They'd say, Inspector so-and-so, my colleague, that colleague, people were coming and going. You know, well, how many chairs are there? Well, there was four. No, there were six. So everyone had a slightly different number of chairs at the table. And that was being used to show, I guess, the frailty of human memory. So therefore, mm-hmm. there was this whole argument of like, you can't remember how many chairs were around the table that you were sitting at, you know, having a coffee with your colleagues, you know, two days ago. And yet we're, we're expected to remember, we're expected to believe that you have suddenly an accurate memory of you searching somewhere in 2011. And that was, and that's how it went. Every single witness, mm. every single thing was argued about, every tiny detail. And all those 
challenges were brought up in the appeal. And I suppose really at the heart of the appeal was the fact that, and of course, when Bobby Ryan's body was discovered two years after he went missing, it was by Quirk who the prosecution would state staged this discovery, um, knowing that the body was, the remains were going to be found because he was being put off the land and he had to do something. Um, But at the heart of his appeal was that because of the nature of how long it had been since Bobby Ryan went missing and and when he was found, there was no actual cause of death established, I think, because the the remains were were, were just, you know, in, in, they were just there too long, weren't they? Well, it's, in, in one sense, they were. And you can argue, again, Pat Quirk was a little bit unlucky in that he, he obviously went in to check the remains. And they suggest it was around 11 days before he alerted the guards because what happened was he obviously had sealed the, the kind of this underground water tank. It obviously been sealed. And Bobby Ryan's remains hadn't decomposed the way he thought it would have. I think Pat Quirk thought he was going to be able to gather up you know, a, a bag of bones and put them in a bag and bring them to his own farm and bury them and be done with it. But when he opened the tank, he found pretty much Bobby Ryan's remains intact. And they know this because there was a, and again, this, you know, this is argued over in, in forensic detail in court that they had a, you know, a, a, I have to forgive me, I can't remember. I think it's entomologist, but it was an insect expert. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. but that basically when they examined the body, they found the larvae of certain flies um, in, you know, in, in Bobby Ryan's remains. And this guy was able to identify it as being exactly 11 days old. So in other words, these eggs were only laid on Bobby Ryan's body 11 days before it was discovered. So it looks like, you know, it looks like that he had, you know, that he thought it was going to be, you know, easy enough to get rid of whatever was left. But then he balked at the idea of of touching these kind of pretty much uh, putrescent corpse, and I mean they even found then on the, on his laptop like de- you know decomposition uh, uh, videos you know uh, the, the, the cadaver farm in the states where they you know where they they track how you know bodies decay in in different in, in different conditions. He looked at all of this, so like he obviously. I was going known. to say to you actually. That science of how insects, you know, lay eggs on human remains and all that was developed in a place called the Body Farm in the US some decades ago. And, you know, it was new science then. Now it is very well established and very well used in in, in court cases. But what they did at the time was they left, you know, if you left your body to scientific research, you might have, it might have ended up in the Body Farm. And they left you out in the fields to see, you know, what happened to you, basically. And then they monitored all this insect activity around the bodies. And, it, it, you know, it sounds really gruesome and the stuff of horror films, but actually it has been an incredible science for use in investigating exactly what has happened, how long bodies are there. Of course, one of the key parts of any murder investigation when remains are found is trying to establish the timeline when the person was killed and at that point, then you can build up who was where around that that timeline. But um, yeah, just a little aside, it is an extremely interesting science. And I can't pronounce the word either, Eamon, so it's fine. But, but the, <laughs> the point is, I guess, was that pack work, it, it, it was the body farm that he had been looking up on his laptop. So he was trying to figure yeah. out what his next step was going to be, which, as we know now, it was to ring his wife, who rang, you know, a guard that she knew from the local hurling club, who then 
did the right thing and rang, you know, the on-duty guards in Tip Town and a car came out and to find the pair of them sitting there, like, you know, on, on a low wall. And when Mary Larry discovered what has happened, she left the farm. She never returned to it from that day. Two aspects of the case that always stuck with me was firstly, as he was explaining away why he was looking up the decomposition of remains, he claimed at the time that a child of his had died in a very tragic farm accident. And he claimed that he wanted to know you know, about the decomposition of his own child, but actually the dates didn't tally. His own child was still alive at the time he had made those Google searches. And the second thing that I just thought was, you know, was just amazing was the fact that his wife Imelda came with him every day, held hands going into court, stuck by him, despite all the evidence of the affair and all that had gone on. Human beings just never cease to amaze us. I know it's, you know, there's, there's, I suppose that there's a, a PhD in some psychology student, I think, in the whole thing. I mean, even even our own reaction to the case. I mean, it's it's, it's in, a, in a sense, it's it's rare that you get, you know, a killing like this, a murder like this and a case like this where, you know, I mean, if he had pleaded guilty, you wouldn't have heard 95 percent of what came out. The fact that everything was argued over in such forensic detail meant that, you know, nothing was nothing was left you know, from from the public gaze. Um, I mean, you know, it really it really was kind of a, a, a like a you know a, one of those Angela Lansbury old kind of murder plots, you mm. know, with various twists along the way. But I mean, even even the moment when the jury, you know, they, they spent a couple of days, uh, you know, re- having retired to consider their verdict, and I remember, like, you know, there was an air of you know, it was by no means certain that you know Pat Quirk was was going to be was going to be convicted. You know, yourself as a journalist, when you're standing around and everyone gets into this absolutely crazy idle game of speculation of what does this mean, what does that mean? The jury asked for this; they've asked for more pens. You know, they want another lunch break. Does that mean he's guilty or it's not torturous. guilty? And it is, and it's kind of it's human nature as well. But I remember. He'd gone out to the smoking garden and you could actually see it from uh, the floor where court 13, where he was on trial or for the 15 weeks. And you could see down into the smoking area. And then the word had come back that, you know, the jury had a verdict and all the lawyers went in, you know, the guards went in, all the journalists went in. Um, I, I stood there watching uh, Pat Quirk and Imelda. And the two of them obviously hadn't been told yet or somebody was wondering, where's Pat Quirk? Because he was on bail all this time, as you know. They get the train up every day from Tip Town and, you know, go into the CCJ. And uh, and, and it just, I just remember, like, at one point, there was a, a junior counsel sprinted past me thinking he was going to miss the moment, you know, with his black robes flying out behind him. And looking down in the mezzanine, the one guy at the centre wall still didn't know the jury had come back and they were waiting for him and next minute. His phone obviously pinged. He takes it out of his breast pocket. He looks at it and he shows it then to Imelda. And wordlessly, they make their way back up and back into the into the courtroom. And that was it. Jail for life. There was no reaction from him. Um, I can't actually remember Imelda's reaction at the time. I know at one point she was in tears, and but I, I, I'm not sure was it at that moment. But generally, you know, she pretty much held it together. But I mean, as you say... You know, I mean, she was never called as a witness. He was never called as a witness. And I mean, you know, a, a certain amount, you know, you know, came out through the Garda interviews and a certain amount came out, you know, through the legal argument. And then, you know, 
people like our colleague Catherine Fagan, who also wrote a book on it, and she did great work at the time. And she went down and you know interviewed various people from you know different farm groups where he had, you, and the tennis club where we got another kind of slice of of Pat Quirk's character and his and his narcissism and his self interest. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those cases I think just you know really grip people. And and again, you know, well, it's all gripping and entertaining. You know, I just you feel so sorry for you know Michelle Ryan and Robert Ryan. You know her her like on you know the night before like he disappeared, she said to him, you know, just stay away, like just stay away from it. It's too much trouble. And you know after because mm. there was one incident where um, Pat Quirk had grabbed Mary's phone and said, "I'm the real man in our life." For this is words had that effect, and sorry you had to find out this way. And then the three of them agreed they'd meet in the Anor Hotel, in oh, sorry in Hayes Hotel in Thurles. And then, and when Bobby Ryan had told Michelle about this, she she was saying, look, just stay away from it. I mean, there's so many undercurrents, you know, I mean, you know, Pat Quirk just, you know, he didn't like this guy, you know, you know, uh, you know, a, a truck driver from Tip Town, you know, sneaking in and getting into the affections of, you know, the woman that he was obsessed with, you know, that, you know, the Ryans were below him as far as he was concerned. Like he was this gentleman farmer. He was a, you know, mm. you know, he was a millionaire in his head from all his investments. Like he was this really clever, you know, investor and businessman. And like to have this, you know, part-time DJ, you know, quarry truck driver, you know, coming in and getting one up in him was something that he he just couldn't handle. He couldn't. And when he went into the prison system and he was, as you said, he was uh, rubbing people up the wrong way down in Limerick because of this aloofness that he continues to, um, to have. I'm sure he was feeling pretty confident when he had 50 grounds of appeal and, you know, he was heading into the appeals court hoping to have that verdict overturned or his, his uh, you know, certainly maybe to... At the very least, I'd say, you know, to win a retrial, um, he's failed now. And this really is the moment for him that he is facing a very grim, bleak future in prison. Is there any information how he's behaving in Port Leash? Um, or does he still hope that someday something will, will pop up that will allow him make a fresh bid for freedom? Or, you know, is his wife still standing by him? How is the future looking for him? I think a lot of these guys, and we've seen it with Joe O'Reilly, I mean, they cling to their own narrative in their head. I mean, you, you could give him a lie detector test and he'd pass it with flying colours that he's innocent, you know, because he has himself convinced he's innocent, you know, whether he did it for the right reasons or, you know, in his head, he's done nothing wrong. And he's always going to, he's always going to be like that. And I mean, I know from, you know, experience of talking to prison officers in the past that, they, t- you know, they often say that, you know, the lifers, you know, it, it kind of, it only really drops home after seven or eight years that you're not really going anywhere. That it, and, and there's often then at that point a fundamental change, but whether that will happen with, with Quirk remains to be seen. I mean, he, he, like he's still, he's still wealthy, you know, I mean, he's, he's, his sons have taken over the farmers. Like I presume he's, one of his sons will have taken over the farm. Mary Larry's, you know, boys will be getting close to that age now as well, if not already. Uh, he's also being sued in the in this through the civil courts for damages by the Ryans. So uh, we know that after we found out after the the court case, you know, he had transferred his farm and some of his wealth to a company that was registered in you know his wife's name. So I mean, the financial relationship is still there. So I mean, he he was you know arguably making moves at that stage to to put his wealth or whatever he has left out of the reach of the Ryans, but. 
I mean, they, they in fairness, they, they haven't wanted to comment publicly about, you know, the lawsuit. It was, it was lodged in 2019. So presumably that's going to wind its way through the courts. And, and if, 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 if Quirk's kind of, if the way he does business, like, stays, we, we'll, unfortunately, for the Ryans, there'll be another trial and be, we'll, we'll hear more about, you know, his financial arrangements and, and you know, probably trying to claim that he doesn't have any money to, to give the Ryans. I mean, it's a, it's a small compensation, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think money is probably their motivation in this case. It's another way of punishing him. You know, I mean, he, he, like, I mean, there no, was finance was part of the, the motivation for killing their father. Absolutely. And it seems to me that in all of it, Michelle Ryan was, uh, you know, a very wise sage when she told her dad, Bobby, to stay away, that it wasn't worth the trouble. Um, unfortunately, he just wasn't afforded the time to be able to make that decision and, and to pull away from that situation. And the image that you have... Uh, someone's up there of Michelle Ryan calling for her father in the woods for the night is is really, really tragic and that's what lies at the heart of this case. Um, Eamon Dillon, thank you very much. Thank you, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Have you heard the news? The Irish Independent has a new podcast. Thousands of people who work in the events industry are making more noise than ever. But are they being listened to? 20 minutes, five days a week, the Indo Daily takes you beyond the headlines and into Ireland's most talked about stories. Two gangs, 18 people killed, families torn apart. The Indo Daily podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, independent.ie and wherever you get your podcasts. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.